speaks to you, then the prayer ministry team will be available afterwards. They'd love to pray with you into that and, and pray for you. Just going to ask John to come forwards. It's great to have John with us. Now, John, how far have you travelled? About 400 miles? Yeah. Like that. But so travelled about 400 miles to be with us today, which is fantastic. Um, I know you're gonna, you've got some things you want to share, and, uh, but I'd just be great if you're open just to give us a little bit of an update in terms of Garstang. Tell us a little bit about the church that you're from, what you're up to, um, and things so we can pray for you. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'm on. Good morning, folks. I bring you greetings from the wet and cold northwest. (laughs) Came here yesterday. We saw blue sky and sunshine, and this is how it always is, obviously in Cornwall. Uh, We we dream of weather like this. Um, Well, Garstang prays for you guys regularly. Uh, We we hear snippets of information about you. We had Pete come up and pray, uh, preach with us recently, and that was fantastic. And uh, we're so delighted to, to be, well, I'm delighted to be in this great building of yours. Um, it is fantastic. A bit warm, but there it is. It's Cornwall, isn't it? Um, but yeah, we at Garstang, we're, we're plodding along quite nicely. We are actually on the verge of a building project. So every time I get a chance to go to another church, I'm always pinching ideas. Um, we're, we're toying with being upstairs and all sorts of things. So it's good to see how the lifts and stairs work. So if you've got to give me some comments afterwards, please do about how you find this building. That would be helpful. But yeah, we're... We're a, um, a, a good church. My, my associate minister always says, we're not perfect, but we're not bad. And uh, um, we, we're seeing God changing lives little by little, bit by bit. And we, we, we believe that God's building his kingdom in Garstang. One particularly exciting thing that I think is happening is God's called us to look towards a place near Blackpool. I don't know if you know much about Blackpool, but it's, it's not a great place. Pretty seedy and dark. And uh, God's kind of caught our attention to be trying to plant a little church on the outskirts of, of Blackpool. Um, and um, we seem to be getting somewhere with that. So we would welcome your prayers as we, as we try and set up that new, new church. We're basically working with kids at the moment, um, none of which came, come from Christian homes, and they're just kind of quite happy to come to our kids' club that we're running, and uh, from that, we're hoping to build and reach the parents as well. So your prayers for that, that would be great. But um, your prayers generally for Garstang would be much appreciated. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for the privilege of being here, though. Brilliant. Thank you, John. I want to pray for, for John and for Sue. And some of you may remember Marcy, who came down a few years ago and spoke here as well. So Marcy works alongside John leading Garstang. So why don't we pray for, for the leadership there and for everything God's doing in Garstang. That'd be great. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for John, for Sue, for Marcy and Clive, and for the place that you've called them to be in, in Garstang to serve you in that place and to, to see your kingdom grow in that place. And I want to thank you, God, that you've given them a bigger vision uh, to see your kingdom growing near Blackpool as well and to be planting a church over there and the kids' club that's going on. And, God, we just want to pray now um, for your blessing upon them as leaders, that you would just give them a fresh vision, fresh encouragement, um, that they would have a clarity of the strategy of the way forwards that you would just draw people around them as a team who can, can work alongside them and help them and enable ministry to happen, that we would see many people coming to, to know you in Garstang and the area there. God, that we, I just want to pray that the next time we get a report, that it would be a report of, of, of new salvation um, in Garstang and near Blackpool, Lord God, and we would just be praising you because of it. God, I want to pray for, um, for all the work that you're doing there. I want to thank you for it. And just pray that you would encourage the guys as they meet there this morning too, that they would know you with them and that they would be encouraged this morning and that we would be encouraged now as John brings your word. Just pray for a fresh anointing upon him, um, that he would speak with your power out of your spirit and that you would open our hearts to be ready to receive it. Lord God, I just pray that you would help each one of us just to, to forget about all the different things going on in life, forget about what's been, forget about what's coming and just to be able to give this time to you to focus on what it is you're wanting to say to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, John. Thank you. Thank you. I should say the actual community working in this place called Thornton. Um, 
have one of those moments. I don't know if you ever have those moments where your brain just goes dead. I was standing before and I was thinking, I can't remember the name of the place we're planting a church. Isn't that sad? I hope this is not being taped. <clears throat> it's a bit worrying, really. But you have to excuse us. Sue and I have been staying at John and Becky, um, at their wonderful house. We've had a few days down here. So my brain is a bit mushy. Yesterday we were on the beach and I was getting into the waves and trying to do this surfboarding thing. And so I haven't quite got the brain tuned in yet. So hopefully as we get going, it'll, it'll, it'll pick up speed. But um, it is a, pri- a privilege to be with you this morning. And uh, there's just a, a very simple word that God's laid on my heart. And it's that. If you hear nothing else from me this morning, I hope that those words from Ezra will sink into your being. Um, so I'm going to leave that up there. I'll refer to that in a, in a few moments. But I wonder... If there's, if there's a word in the Bible that you feel as God's particularly put there just for you, I wonder if there's like a verse that you kind of come back to time and time again, you read it and you think, oh yeah, that's my verse, that was written for me. Um, there's so much in this wonderful book of books, and uh, there's this one verse that caught my attention some years ago, and it just, it just hit me like a freight train, I thought, crumbs, that is, that is my verse, and it's that one. For Ezra desired in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it and to teach its statutes and rules in Israel. Now, you may think, why has he he picked that one? Well, first of all, it's easy to remember because 710 is my birthday. Seventh month, tenth day. That always helps with my trying to remember things. And and the second thing about it is that when I became a Christian, I came from a non-Christian background. And when I first started going to church, the thing that I found so exciting and so extraordinary was this Bible. I hadn't really come across many of the stories in the Bible. I heard the, it's a, the usual ones at school, etc. But it hadn't, hadn't really kind of got hold of me. And when I first started going to church, I must confess I went for bad reasons. I was pursuing a young lady, but we won't go into that now. Um, but she got me there, and then I started reading God's Word, and I started listening to sermons. I used to get really excited and think, Crumbs, this is amazing. I used to love listening to God's Word being taught and thinking, well, if this is true, it changes everything. And so I, 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 I really did love it. And I still love it today. And, and when I read this verse, I thought, that just sums up my heart. This guy, Ezra, was devoted to three things that it says in that verse. He was devoted to studying God's word, to doing what it said, and to teaching it to God's people. Now, I love, I love it when you get three things that you can kind of remember. He was devoted to studying it, doing it, and teaching it. And that just resonated with me. That's, that's, when I first started hearing the Bible talk, I thought, I want, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that studies God's word, that does what it says and teaches it to others. But the thing that comes before those three things is this simple word, Ezra. It says, in my version, it's different. It says desired in his heart. But in, in my version, it says Ezra was devoted to. This is where it's always tricky when you've got different versions. But it's the same thing. Ezra was devoted to. Now, if you think of that word devotion... What does it conjure up? Anyone who wants to tell me, what does the word devotion conjure up to you? You are allowed to play along with this. Love. Love, thank you very much. Yeah, any any other things? Worship. Care, committed, yeah. My simple way of thinking about it is if I'm devoted to something, I'm mad for it. Um, it's actually, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all or nothing, really. Devotion is, is about being absolutely sold out for something. And I was thinking about that word devotion. I was thinking, sometimes it's helpful to understand something by considering its opposite. And, and if you've got Bibles with you, you might t- like to turn with me to the, to the book of Revelation. It's easy to find. That's why I picked it. It's at the end of the Bible. And in chapter, chapter 3, you've got a number of words that are given to various churches 
um, in, in Turkey as it is today. And in, in chapter 3, verses 14 onwards, you get a word that's given to a church in a place called Laodicea. Now, these words were given as challenge and encouragement. And if you just want to read the first few verses of chapter 3, or of verses 14 onwards in chapter 3, you read this. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, when I think of those verses, I think of the opposite of devotion. And the opposite of devotion is someone who's kind of lukewarm, who's kind of half-hearted. And there's such a challenge in those verses. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Laodicea. I had the privilege of going some years ago. And Laodicea is an interesting place because it had no direct water supply. And the Romans who lived there liked to do... They like to live, but they like to have baths, and they love their hot water. So nearby to Laodicea is a place called Hierapolis, and that had really hot springs of water. And so what they did was, they, in the people of Laodicea, they put all these pipes down to pump all this lovely hot water from Hierapolis to Laodicea so they could enjoy hot, hot baths and all that kind of malarkey. The only problem was that as the hot water from the springs made its way down these pipes, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was no longer boiling hot. In fact, it was lukewarm, which meant it wasn't really that good for the baths that the Romans loved to have in their boiling hot water. Now, Laodicea didn't have cold water either. So nearby was another place called Colossae. We've got a letter to the church in Colossians in the Bible. And Colossae had cold water. So to build this settlement in Laodicea, what the Romans did was they built pipes from Colossae to take the cold water that they needed to Laodicea. The problem with that was, by the time the, water, the cold water had gone all the way through the pipes to Laodicea, it had heated up a bit. It was lukewarm. So the writer is basically saying, you know Laodicea, you know what it's famous for? One of the things it's famous for is its water supply. It's neither hot nor it's cold. It's actually good for nothing. So what's God going to do? It's going to spit it out. Now, that's a brilliant description for people who understand these things. It's saying that the people of Laodicea understood that, that to be neither hot nor cold was, was neither good for bathing or drinking. And so the challenge to that church was, you don't want to be like Laodicea. You don't want to be a place where you're neither fit for one thing or the other. It would be better if you were either hot or cold. So I think of devotion and I think, I want to be somebody who follows Jesus. And I do not want to be like a Laodicean. I don't want to be lukewarm, good for nothing. I want to be somebody who's passionate and devoted for God's word. So where do we see an example of devotion? Well, again, if you've got your Bibles, you might like just to flick back to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, you've got the story of the church just starting out on its journey, the the New Testament church. And it wasn't a perfect church by any means because it was full of people. But as the church got going, as the Holy Spirit got hold of it, these imperfect people were sold out for God. And if you turn to chapter 2, you read in verse 42, another simple literal expression. It says there, they, talking about the New Testament Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These were kind of four key objectives of the early church. And the thing I love about that verse is it says that they were devoted. They were mad for these things. They were sold out for them. They were, they were totally in, in love with these following things. And the things that they particularly were keen on were the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, hanging out together, being, doing life together, to breaking of bread, i.e. to remembering the cross of Jesus Christ, which is what everything hinges on, and to praying, because without the power of the Spirit, we're not going to get anywhere. 
And I, and I love that simple verse, Acts 2.42, but it starts with devotion. So, so there's two contrasts. You've got Laodicea, the lukewarm people who are kind of going through the motions and not really getting it. And then you've got the, the New Testament church in Acts where they're all fired up and ready to go. Now, what sort of church do you want to be here in Snorstall? Thank you very much. Oh, you're good. You're good. Absolutely. Who wants to be a lukewarm church? When Laodicea read that, they must have thought, whoa, we need to pull our, pull our socks up. I don't want to be rude. We want to get going for Jesus. I think probably you are. I look around you and there's some pretty fired up looking people here. But there's plenty of empty seats. We need to be filling them, don't we? And that's going to happen when we are devoted to certain things. And the key, it seems to me, from Ezra, the starting point, if you like, is God's word. Same as in the New Testament church, the first thing they were devoted to was the apostles' teaching. If we're going to understand God, we need to be taught about him. We need to understand how he works and and who he is. And so where do we go for that? We have to go to God's word. We have to listen to good teaching. And that is the place we're starting from. So let me just give you a quick recap. Who was this guy, Ezra? Well, I don't know if you know your Bible history particularly well. I'm sure you do because you've got great preachers here. But you remember God's people went astray in the Old Testament. They turned more and more from God. They were led astray by actually getting into the practices of the world around them. That's a great warning to us. We, we want to be very careful when we start getting caught up in the things that the, the world around us are doing that pull us away from God. We need to be in the world to tell them about God's love, but we don't want to be in the world so much that we lose the plot. And so when we come to, to Ezra, God's people have been sent into exile. Can anybody tell me where they were sent into exile? Babylon. Very good, Babylon. Yes, four points over there. The people of God were taken into exile in Babylon. How long for? 70 years, you're spot on. What year did they go into exile? <laughs> nah, nah. Okay, you know, you know it, you just want to show off. Okay, so in 586 BC, it's a long, long time ago, God's people finally ran out of chances and God brought the Babylonians across under Nebuchadnezzar and they took the, 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 the creme de la creme of the, of the Jewish people and they took them off into exile into Babylon. And in Babylon, a number of God's prophets spoke to them there and they said, God is... You need to understand why God's done this to you. You, You've become lukewarm. You've lost the plot. You've lost your devotion for God. And so God's got to teach you that God has to come first. If you don't put God first, then you're going to put other things first. And that will lead you astray. In exile, they they begin to learn this, this, this thing. And eventually God says, okay, you can go back. But learn the lessons that I've been teaching you while you've been out of the land. And so God's people come back. Can anybody tell me who were the leader of God's people when they came back out of captivity? A bit before him, there was a guy called Zerubbabel. And I love this guy, Zerubbabel, because what he did was he had to rebuild the temple of God from the rubble. <laughs> so Zerubbabel t- comes back with some of the exiles who, who, after being in exile, and they start to rebuild the temple. And they finish the rebuilding of the temple, the second temple, in the year 516, exactly 70 years after they went into exile. It's incredible, 70 years, 586 to 516. But even though they built the temple, God's people were still being led astray to, to, to marry foreign ladies who practiced foreign religion that took them away from God. And so God needed somebody to go and teach the people. Who did he send? He sent this guy, Ezra. Ezra came back with another lot of returning exiles and he taught the people how to follow God. He taught them by teaching them from God's word. He didn't have the New Testament, obviously, but he taught them from what they did have, the book of Moses. 
But still they needed to be protected from the people around them. And so that's when Nehemiah comes in. He was the third returnee. He came back with another group and they then rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem to protect them from what was outside. The trouble is if you you build walls to protect, sometimes you can get so used to being inside, you never actually go out. So we have to be careful with walls. They can be good and bad. But Ezra, the middle guy of the three, so you've got Zerubbabel, then Ezra, then Nehemiah. Ezra, he is all about teaching the people to be devoted to God's word so that they don't go astray again. You with me so far? Okay, a lot of information. There will be a test at the end. <laughs> there won't really, but anyway. What I thought it would be helpful, as I've not been here before, is to, just to give you a brief um, overview of what, what this verse has meant to me in my life and how I've tried to put it into practice. Because although it was written a long, long time ago when Ezra came back, it was about 458 BC when he came back to teach the people. That's two and a half thousand plus years ago. That verse still resonates with me and it still should resonate with the church today. Now I told you earlier, I, didn't, I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. Um, so when I first started coming to the church, I was in my early 20s. And as I said, it wasn't for the right reasons, really. I was pursuing this hot young lady. But anyway, having got me into the church, I also got quite interested in the, in the preaching, which was pretty hot at the time as well, and, and starting to hear stories from the Bible. I should just mention that my wife is not the... Well, she is a hot young lady, but she's not the one that I was chasing. Oh, I shall pay for that later. <clears throat> anyway, moving swiftly on... So, when I started coming to church and started hearing from the Bible, I was, I was just so excited. And the, late, the girl that brought me into the church had soon done her job, so she, she gave up on me. Um, but I was hooked. I was interested because I thought to myself, gosh, if this is true, this changes my whole world. This changes my life. This, everybody needs to know this. And I was, I was hanging out with some pretty rough Herberts at the time. And I used to tell them about this stuff I was learning at the Bible. And they just ridiculed me. They mocked me. They thought I was completely off my head. And why didn't I want to do all the stuff that I used to do before? And I really didn't. And so we kind of parted company. And it was a bit of a shame, but they just didn't want to know. And many people still don't. But I just couldn't get enough of this stuff. And so sometime, sometime later, I decided that it just wasn't enough to go to Sunday and listen to a teaching sermon. It wasn't enough just to go to a small group. I wanted more. And so I decided that I would love to go to Bible college. Because all the Christian books you read, they all have, oh, and, this, and then this person went to Bible college, and then they went off and planted six million churches somewhere or other. And I was kind of thinking, well, this is the way you do it. You have to go to Bible college. The only trouble is I was in a, I was in a job. And to cut a long story short, I had huge debts that I'd built up, and, and I couldn't afford to go. So I started praying, God, release me from my job so I can go to Bible college, so I can, I can do whatever you want to do with me. And... Uh, God, in his grace, kept me waiting quite some time, as he often does. But eventually, um, it came to my annual review. I used to work in a bank, I should tell you, but please don't hate me. Um, And my annual review, my my boss would say to me, so where do you see yourself in five years' time? And for quite some time, I'd say, at Bible college. I said, no, no, don't say that. That's not really what you're going to do for your career. Just, just tell me something that I want to know. I said, well, I do want to be at Bible college. He said, no, tell me you want to get a bigger branch and you want to be more successful. I said, oh, no, I want to leave. He said, no, okay, that's forget about it. <laughs> Eventually, one of these reviews came and my boss said to me, so where do you see yourself in five years' time? <laughs> Bible college, yeah, I knew you'd say that. Well, the bank are restructuring and there might be some chance of some money. Do you want to go? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that sounds good. He said, but... I tell you what, even though your attitude is stinks at the moment, you just want to leave. You've been doing quite well at the bank, so 
I'm going to give you a choice because I would like to promote you to the biggest branch in the area. You'll get a company car and pension, all this kind of malarkey. I want to, I think you could do really well in the bank. So you've got 24 hours to make your mind up. You've either got security, good money, blah, 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 or you can go off on your wild goose chase and follow your fairy tales. And you'd think I'd say, oh, I'm going to Bible college after all this time, but I wasn't sure. I suddenly thought, oh, I'm throwing away 16 years of everything I've ever known since I left school. I'm throwing away security. I'm throwing away income. I'm throwing away... What am I throwing away? Bible college. I can learn all about the Bible. I'll have no money, but I will be able to pay my debts. And it was quite, a, it was quite tricky. 24 hours, and I was wrestling with it to and fro. Tells you what a rotten Christian I am. I should have just said, oh, Bible college, but I'm not that holy. And at the end of the, at the, end of the 24 hours, when he phoned me up, I still wasn't sure how I was going to go, one way or the other. But he said, okay, then, what's it going to be? And it just came out of my mouth, Bible college. And that was it. So I was given redundancy. I was able to pay most of my debts off. I was still in a bit of a pickle, but it got me, it got me to the point where I was nearly ready to go. So then I spent a year of just doing odd jobs and all sorts of different things. I lived in a rented room. I'd had to sell my house and everything I possessed, basically. But after about a year, I had enough money to get me through Bible college over three years. So off I went to Bible college, and it was wonderful. And I thought, oh, I'll go to Bible college, and I'll know everything about the Bible. And I will be one of those people that can just quote your verses like Pete can. Oh, you'll be fantastic. And I went to Bible college, and I realized, there's an awful lot to learn. <laughs> there's a heck of a lot to learn. And the more, I, the more I studied, the more I realized I didn't know anything. There was so much to learn in this book. But God was gracious. And in the year above me at college was this nice young lady who was doing really well. And I thought, if I can get around her, she can help me with my studies. Hello, Susan. <laughs> no, Sue, Sue and I met, and there's two versions of our story. The true version, which I won't tell you, and my version, which is Sue fell headlong in love with me. Just thought I was great, wanted to be with me, and we, it was just everything was fine. And then the other version, which is less romantic, really, was hard work, wasn't it? I had all sorts of baggage, and Sue had to be very gracious with me. But um, I came out of college with a degree. I came out of college with a beautiful wife. And I came out of college with a real passion. Because I realized that far from knowing everything, I didn't know anything. There was so much to learn, and I was hungrier than ever to learn. And I had this vision, if you like, that God had given me to, to, to live whole, wholly sold out to studying God's word. And so I shared this with Sue, and Sue had a massive passion to make disciples of people and see people really living devoted lives to God. And so we, we kind of dovetailed the two. And we said, okay, we're going to pursue this vision, what we called Outreach House. It was to live a life where we were, we were instead of working to pay the bills and then studying on, on, the, on our spare time, we decided, what if we tried to do it the other way around? What if we actually made studying the Bible foremost in our lives and then just earned a little bit of money to kind of cover us? Could we get by? Well, that was the, that was the vision. And it didn't come quickly. Initially, we went to work in a church down in the southeast, and then uh, we worked in different places. We worked in a place called Labrie, if any of you have ever heard of that, started by a guy called Francis Schaefer. And we traveled to different places, and we kept learning and kept, kept learning and understanding. And by about, I think, 1999, uh, we, were, we were really sensing God's call to keep moving on this. But I was, I was just realizing that I knew so little about God, <laughs> really. I'd got the Bible, and there was so much more to learn. And so I, I said to Sue, what I'd really like to do is I'd love to, to spend my spare time reading the Bible and reading some of the great commentaries that are written about the Bible and then try to kind of praise down what other brilliant people have said and put it in my language, in John speak, cat sat on the mat kind of language. 
And so that's what I started doing. I started with Matthew, and I take all the great commentaries, and I read them, and I think, oh, that's complicated. How can you say that simply? And I started writing it, and I started realizing that I was beginning to learn stuff at last. I'd got the tools from Bible College, but now I was actually applying the tools to the book. And I finished Matthew, and I said, so this is fantastic. I'm beginning to get this. But I still didn't understand the big story of the Bible. I didn't understand the story of how you get from Genesis to Jesus. I didn't see how it all fitted into place. And so what I decided to do was, we'll start at Genesis, and I'll do this thing, and I'll work through in my spare time, and just write my own John Speak commentary and all the books, and, and, and apply the skills and the tools I'd learned at college, and see if I can learn this Bible at last. So that's what I did. And, and Sue was very gracious. She let me have the time to do that. And by the time we got to about 2005, I'd finished. I got through the whole lot. And it was so exciting. I used to talk to people, do you know there's a big story? There's a story that goes all the way through. There's a massive story here. And every time you hear a preacher, they come and come at a little bit of the story. But there's a big flow. There's a big story. That God's got a big story for space and time. He's got a big story for my life. He's got a big story for your life. He's got a big story for anyone who's prepared to dig into him. And we need to tell the big story. So in 2005, I decided, Sue decided, and a friend of ours, to go mad. (laughs) So by then, we were working in a small church in Yorkshire, and uh, I said, we've got to do this. So I went to the bank, and I said to the nice bank manager, we'd like to move, and I'd like to buy this house. We're going to set up a small Christian study center slash community. And the bank said, okay. And I said, I've got my salary paid into the bank. And they said, yeah, that's good. I said, I'd like to borrow this amount of money, which to me was huge. And they looked at it. And they said, yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. No problem. Yeah, account's been good. Money comes in. Fine. We'll give you that amount of money. And then I said to the person in the nice bank, I just have to tell you, when we do move to that place, it's 250 miles away, and I won't be doing my job anymore. In fact, I won't have an income at all. And they said, okay, well, you got it now. Looks good. Yeah, fine. They said yes. Now, now you know why the banks are in such a mess. Before the financial crash, they were throwing money, and we just happened to hit the crest of the wave, and we were in the right place at the right time, and they gave us the mortgage. And so off we trailed to the Lake District, and we bought this big old tumble-down house, and myself and Sue and a friend of ours, Maria, moved into this place, and for seven years, we decided we were going to live in this place, and we're going to live with God's word as priority. And so every, every day, we lived what we called a rhythm of life. So in the morning, our little team would come, and we would study the Bible, from Genesis, little by little, and I would teach the guys from my John Speak commentary, and Sue knew most of it anyway, but we, we were learning together. And we, day by day, we would study through this, this, this great book. We had another person come to, to live with us as well, and they thought it was a good idea. Um, and then you're wondering, well, how did he pay the bills? That's a very good question. My mum had a really severe stroke, and she needed care. So in God's provision, she came and lived with us in this big old house as well. And we got a small carer's allowance, I think it's £40 a week or something, to care for her. That helped. The mortgage was about 700 a month. <laughs> and people came out of nowhere and stayed with us a while and said, we really think well, this is what you're doing is great. Can we give you a check? And I'd say, well, no, okay. Um, and, and money came. And... And we wanted to work locally as well so that we were actually in our community because we didn't want to be this holy huddle behind the walls. We wanted to be in our community and for our community. And so we, we tried to get local jobs. And Maria, our, our, our teammate, she got a job in the local shop. And there's a whole story there about that, but I haven't got time to tell you. And our other friend, Rosie, who came to live with us, she got a, story, a job in a local solicitor's office as a secretary. And with their help, little by little, we, we just about got through. And day by day, we would study God's word, and we would just find that big story was so exciting. 
and so wonderful about God who makes the earth. And it's wonderful, it's beautiful, and we mess it up. And God doesn't say, okay, well, that's enough of you lot. Then he says, I love you so much, I'm going to stick with you. And let's go with it, and let's see how we can actually work through a few people and change the world. And that story began to kind of be part of us. And so for seven years, we lived this outreach house rhythm up in the Lake District, and we studied our way through, and God provided everything we need. We were never well off, but we never went without and our community grew, and it shrank, and slowly we, we began to reach out to our community. And uh, the first person that became to faith in our little setting was fantastic. Um, I met him in the local village table tennis uh, club. And uh, the first time we met, he was wonderful. Because I, I met him, and he was, he was there with his son, and I was the only other person that went. And he was sitting there on his phone, as people do, and I thought, I've got to be friendly, I'm a Jesus man. I said, hello, mate, all right? Here for the table tennis then. It really went well. <laughs> but this, this guy was the guy who, I don't know, two years later, slowly, week by week, playing table tennis, getting him to actually utter more than, mm. we, we, we opened him up and we became friends and he was the first person who became a Christian in our little church, we called it Outreach House. And he got the bug too. Now he's a, he's a changed man. I'd love to tell you lots of stories, but I'm only here for this morning, so I better, you know, I, I did I promise to be under two hours. Um, but uh, by 2012, our little team had studied all the way through the Bible, and we were all hooked. We all realized that this was a great story that had to be told. And so I'd got all my plans, and I said to God, okay, we've, we've done it small now. Now, can we move to somewhere else and do this large? So we had a, a big conference, and we invited everybody who'd come over the years to come and see what we've been doing. And I said, do you want to be part of Outreach House 2? We're going to do this again. And lots of people said, yeah, that sounds kind of good. Where's the money coming from? I said, oh, you have to trust in God. And we said, okay, we're going to need at least eight people to do this. And at the end of, at the end of trying to get people interested, we had seven. And it just didn't feel right. And it was like God saying, really good what you've done. Yeah, love it. Stop. And it really messed with me. And I was so cross with God. I said, Lord, you've put this on my heart. You've given me this desire. I I am devoted, you know I am, to studying your word, to to trying to do what it says, to teaching it to anyone who will listen. You know that's my heart. I want to do this again. Can we do this again? And God said, nope. So I said, well, what do we do? And God didn't seem to say anything. Now, one of the people that had been to see us while we did Outreach House was a guy called Alan Ellershaw. Some of you might have heard his name. He's a free Methodist pastor up in Carnforth, and he's a great guy. <clears throat> and he'd come to visit our Outreach House, and uh, when, when we stopped our seven-year rhythm, when we weren't sure what to do, we started going to his church just as a place to keep getting fed and wait. And so we wrote this prayer letter, and we said, anybody who's got any idea what God's telling us to do, would you please help us? Because we're stuck. We want to do this, and God seems to be saying no. We sent this letter to Alan Ellershaw, and Alan Ellershaw said, yeah, come and talk to me. I've got an idea. And he said to me, there's a church in a place called Garstang. Needs, a, needs some help. Do you fancy it? I said, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I don't want to go back into, into that sort of church. I want to be radical. I want to do what we're doing in Outreach House. No. And where's Garstang, anyway? And he's in Lancashire. Oh, I'm from Yorkshire. You, you can't put those two together. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. And Alan said, well, that's what I think might be good for you. So nothing else came. Nobody else answered our prayer request. And we were getting pretty desperate. And we were wondering what on earth this is all about. So Sue and I decided to go to this place in Garstang and just sneak in the back and see if we could sneak in and then sneak out and just make sure that it wasn't right. You go to a free Methodist church, you can't do that. Because when we, when we arrived at Garstang, people said, oh, hello, who are you then? Welcome, where have you come from? What are you doing here? And, it was, and they were being friendly. I wasn't being funny with us, they were being friendly. And we thought, this is a nice group of people. 
but this can't be right. This isn't what God's got in mind. And God said, yes, it is. <laughs> so I said to Alan Ellishaw, right, well, okay, well, nothing else has come up. So I'll, I'll go and help there for six months, maybe a year. But I'm not staying any longer than that because I've got real passion to teach God's word and to try and do what it says and to teach it to others. And, and I want to study the word. Well, we, we turned up at Garstang. And annoyingly, we fell in love with them. And they seemed to like us as well. And so we saw that they were advertising for a lead pastor. And I said to Sue, that's annoying. That's my job. And so we said, well, I'll tell you what. We'll make sure it's not right. We'll apply for the job and we won't get it. Um, and then we can carry on dreaming with what we want to do. So we went to this interview with a guy called John Townley. Very frightening. <laughs> Andrew Gard, leaders of the Free Methodist m- movement. And we went in quite blasé and think, well, we don't really care about this. We'll be all right. We'll be fine. Well, we did actually care. But we, we went into this and they asked us loads of questions and they tested us out. And we came out thinking, wow, that was quite hard work. We also came out thinking, we kind of want this job. But they won't give it to us, surely. They did. Fools. Fools. <laughs> So in uh, late 2013, wasn't it, I became the lead pastor at Garstang Free Methodist Church. I didn't have a clue about Free Methodism, didn't have any understanding about where they were or who they were, etc. But we started finding out that this was a little family of God with a real hot spot in in the northwest and a real powerhouse in the southwest. And they were people who meant business with God. That these Free Methodists were devoted to God. They were devoted to God's word. They wanted to study it. They wanted to follow it. They wanted to teach it. They wanted to reach out to normal people, the likes of which I was, lost, who hadn't got a clue who God was or what Jesus had come to do for them. And suddenly we realized that we were in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. And there's no better place to be if you want to be with God, is there? And so I said to the leaders at Garstang, I've got this idea for a preaching series why don't we preach through the whole Bible over seven years? The whole lot. And Marcy, my associate, said, that's cool. We could call it the mother of all preaching series. <laughs> and so we began in 2013. We are preaching through, week by week, the whole Bible from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, which will finish in the year 2020. And so we've called it the 2020 Vision. It's our vision to get through the whole Bible so that we can see clearly who it is that we we are made by and working for. Now, somebody else in the church said, this is really good, but a preaching on the Sunday, that's not enough. We we need to be studying it daily. And so somebody said, why don't we use Facebook? And so one of our our newest Christians, funnily enough, has has opened a, a church Facebook page. And every day she goes on and she posts a verse or two for that day. And she gives an explanation of what it's all about. And it makes me weep because I think that was, that was what my heart was at the beginning, is to study this word and to, and to really kind of get to know it and then to do it and then to teach it. And this girl has got it and she's following it. Our small groups, we didn't have many when we started, but we've got small groups going now. And they, when they gather each week, they are following the rhythm. They are studying it too. And slowly, bit by bit, people are going to begin to say, oh, I see how it fits now and I see where that bit goes. We just finished the second year, which is the history books. And now if I ask people, what year did Ezra come back? They would all say, well, they might say 458, but some of, them, some of them certainly would. And they would know about Nebuchadnezzar and they would understand these things. They would know about when God's people lose the track and when they lose their passion, well, then they're in danger. Now, I'm not saying that's the best way of doing it. It's just our way of doing it. You have, you know, different churches have different flavors and different ways of doing it. But I would like to say to you simply this. If you want to be a church that sees God at work, And you are. But if you want to see more, 
This is the place I would suggest is a great one to start with. The word of God. The word that became flesh when Jesus turned up. I mean, when in Outreach House, when we got to year five and we actually hit the gospel year, we were so excited. We were like little kids in a sweet shop. It's like, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And then, whoa, all the promises. Look how he does it. Didn't they? Why didn't they see? Why didn't they get it? It was just so exciting. We've got to wait another two years for Garstang before we get that excited. But, but, but it's coming. So if there's nothing that you remember about what I've talked to you about today, can I encourage you to, to look at that verse? And not see it as just mine, but I'll share it with you, because that's the kind of guy I am. Why don't you make that a verse for you as well? A verse that says Ezra devoted himself or desired in his heart. He wasn't just lukewarm. He really, really wanted to get to know God's word. And so he studied it. He didn't just read it. He wanted to read it and read commentaries and read about it and understand it. Why does he say that? How does that work? Who is he speaking to? He asked asked those kind of questions. And then, why don't you set yourself the objective of being even more people who do what it says? Now, I remember people saying to me, ah, oh, but some of it's really difficult to understand. And I, it is. I'm still struggling with an awful lot of this stuff. I can't wait for revelation. I'm hoping somebody's going to teach me some of the stuff. But do you know the honest truth is, there's an awful lot more that is understandable than isn't. And what we need to be, if we're going to see God move in our land at this age, is people that do what it says, the bits we can understand. Things like being people who are kind. Putting other people's needs before our own. People who are patient. You know, when Paul starts explaining what love's all about, he starts by saying, love is patient. You know, I fall at that first hurdle. But there's something about being patient, waiting with God. I think that's why God sometimes keeps us waiting for a long time before he answers our prayers. We need to be people who are patient in a world that's very impatient. We need to be people who are honest, brutally honest. We need to be people who who don't make money, our God, but actually put Jesus first in everything. People who forgive one another. Those are the things we can understand, but it's harder to do. Ezra said, if we're going to really make a difference in the world, we need to study it, and then we need to do what it says. And then we all need to be people who teach it. Now, some of you might think, well, that's that's Pete's job to teach it. I don't think that's that's the case. Well, I do think it's it's the case, but I think it's not just for, for ministers, because actually we're all ministers. Parents need to be teaching it to children. Grandparents need to be teaching it to grandparents. Not by saying, okay, sit down, we're going to have a Bible study, but just, just making it fun, engaging with kids, telling them about Jesus and what he came and what he did, just telling the stories. I grew up not knowing any of this stuff. It was exciting when I came, but, but if you're in the church now, you've got an advantage. You can actually be learning and teaching. Teaching at work as well. I remember one of my part-time jobs just, just saying to them, I'm sorry, I'm not going to lie, in a situation where they said that you had to, to get a say. I said, won't do it. Sack me. See how that stands up at a tribunal. Um, <laughs> let's, let's be people who do what it says and teach it to others. Teach the radical, beautiful, life-affirming truths found in God's word. Ezra devoted himself to studying God's word, to doing what it said, to teaching it to others. I pray that you are a people that do Ezra 7.10.